0: Hi, you're listening to The Get, the podcast about finding and keeping great marketing leaders in B2B SaaS. I'm Erica Seidel, your host. If you're doing well in scaling, it may feel like your path is set. Maybe you feel like you have paradoxically less room for experimentation. After all, shouldn't you double down on what works and focus there? Today, you'll hear about how to thread that needle. Today, you'll hear from Cynthia Gumbert. She's the CMO of SmartBear, the 750-person, PE-backed SaaS company that's on a growth tear, serving more and more software developers every day. You'll hear about the transition from VP of marketing to CMO, and you'll hear about the difference between a marketing-centric mindset and a business-first, marketing-second mindset. Listen for what Cynthia says about putting yourself into the CEO's shoes and thinking about how to help the whole company grow, not just how to grow marketing's results. Listen for all the different ways in which Cynthia injects discomfort into her scale journey. One takeaway, expect to hit plateaus as you scale. When you do, you need to ask, how do we double doing well here? You'll also hear about an important trend for 2022 for product-led growth CMOs, the need for micro-market research. Here we go. So, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining the show. I'm so happy to have you on. Cynthia Gumbert, CMO of SmartBear. So thank you for joining. Thank you, Erica. Thrilled to be here and appreciate you having me. All right. So you have an interesting aspect of scaling in your background. You know, you've worked at a lot of bigger companies and now you're at SmartBear as part of this kind of great scale up. And you were saying before we talked, you're like the P.E. darling. I forget how you said it. Kind of a P.E. dream kind of company. Can you talk about, you know, your experience going from VP of marketing to CMO? Because, you know, it seems like it's like a different lens and it's a bit of a leap from leading all of marketing to kind of thinking business first, marketing second, as I like to say. I'm curious to hear like about that leap that you made, what was hard, how should other marketers that are new to the CMO role align with others specifically?
1: Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I had to tap way back into my way back history <laughs> and background. I was an engineer before I became a marketer. And then I worked in sales and sales engineering and then went to business school and then went into marketing. So part of it was going back to, okay, I've been in different parts of the business and had a perspective beyond marketing. So I didn't just come up through the marketing organization. And I've had to exercise those parts of my brain, not so much like understanding everything engineering is doing, but being empathetic to what the whole business is going through, kind of going back to my MBA roots on right, how do we think about growth from all lovers perspective and really put yourself kind of in the seat of the CEO and, you know, what does he or she need to be worried and concerned about and how am I helping that? How am I helping the entire company
0: grow and not just managing my team and my own department? That's great. So talk a little bit about how that comes out in practice. Like, are there Different conversations where you're working on that alignment with the CEO and the CMO. Like, what are those critical conversations that happen or that have happened over the course of your time at Smart Bear that kind of stick out to you?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I look at just when I'm thinking with only my marketing hat, it really comes out largely when we're doing annual planning and budget planning and looking at it in terms of, all right, marketing needs to do these five things and we really want to, you know, start experimenting and working on new things and doing this. And it's reframing that to the company needs this. And I understand that, you know, I'm not going to get every dollar of budget that I'm asking for in marketing. And I'm not just looking at it's my empire. (laughs) I'm building more for myself. It's what do we need to do as a business? Here's why, you know, a product is investing in that, then we should invest in that part of marketing and I'm okay giving up these other things here and I get it and I will go and translate that back to the team and say, sorry, you know, we can't invest in these new tools because they're nice to have, but they're not must have for the business. So it just helps me frame, you know, we don't all have Infinite, unlimited budget and ability to hire, we have to make trade offs. And it really helps me give the context back to the team on here's why we're making these trade offs, but making sure that, you know, you're all working on the most important things for the business. That's one, you know, another area of just thinking business first is I feel like you can't over communicate with your team. And, you know, yeah, there's some things in board meetings that we can't share and numbers and whatnot, but I am very open. One of our values of the company at SmartBear is open, our core values. And, you know, I really take that to heart and try to share immediately after any executive or board meetings, what is relevant to the team and say, here's the context that we're having conversations in. You know, I don't think there's any level too low that you know we should avoid sharing strategy with i just i have all hands meetings with my organization every single week and we have a stand up and i will share as much as i possibly can without crossing a line and you know oversharing anything sensitive but i think they really appreciate that because they kind of start to think that way too and understand what else is going on at the organization and how they can think about getting creative and doing their jobs better in a way right. that's that's relevant and important.
0: Yeah, you know, it's so interesting when I talk to candidates lately, I don't hear people say so much, I want to work in this industry or I want to work in this size company. What they say is I want a transparent culture mm-hmm. and I want a culture with integrity. And so I think it's so important. I, you know, obviously transparency, it means, it means a lot of things, but I think that's, you know, step one is kind of sharing what's going on in conversations where you're not necessarily going to be in the conversation.
1: Yeah. Transparency is important. And I found that I'll uncover places where there are opportunities to communicate more, where, you know, I see something happening in a different org and ask, you know, a leader of that team, do you mind coming in to share with marketing what you're working on? Because I liked what I heard and it not not relevant to every single person in my team, but it's going to be interesting to them. And, yeah. you know, we have guest speakers all the time coming into our marketing all hands. And that's the other benefit of looking business first is just finding opportunities to share more information across different parts of the business that wouldn't normally talk. Yeah, It always sparks some new idea from somebody.
0: Yeah. So what's an example of like a recent guest that you've had on the marketing team meeting?
1: We had the head of channel sales come join us. And it was really in the context of we give every other month, we give our team awards. We have these spot awards and they're tied to our core values. And there's always one given by somebody outside of marketing to someone on our team or vice versa. Or we invite somebody to give an award to outside of our group. And this happened to be head of channel sales was giving a team member an award. And I asked her, while you're at it, can you just share everything going on that you're working on? And what's the plan for our, you know, partners and What's going on? So she ended up speaking for an extra 15 minutes and it was great. It was just very interesting kind of hearing that perspective and people had a lot of questions to her. So that yeah. was that was fun. I'm bringing our CEO in to my next all hands. and Oh, good. He's, good. he's got a few things to say also. So.
0: That's great. I remember talking to a CMO recently. I'm just going to share this idea with you because you might get a kick out of it. But he was doing live personas. So the idea is like everybody's Mm. on Zoom these days. So he would get a customer to just come to a marketing meeting and then he would invite the whole company and <laughs> uh, and, and kind of bring the persona to life. And, you know, anybody could kind of, you know, fire questions at the, at the customer and it was all about learning <laughs> and stuff. Awesome. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I you, you, you know, <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, you yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. I thought it might be interesting for you. You guys are doing well. And I'm going to ask you this kind of funny question. You know, you guys are growing, you're profitable. Evan's th- wondering, does this give you paradoxically less room? for error and experimentation. I'm wondering if this is something that a lot of companies are going to like that are doing well now are like a little nervous about experimenting. Any thoughts on that? Like where does the experimentation come in for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to fall into trap of being very comfortable and saying, you know, "We're, we're doing fine. Don't mess with it. Just don't mess with it. We don't want anything to fall off the rails and, you know, just keep doing more of what we're doing. There are these, just like when you're training for like an athletic thing, or, you know, I do Peloton, you get to these plateaus. Where it's like, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Wait, why can't I PR anymore? Why can't yeah. I just keep getting a little bit better? And I think there are these, these plateau points where like, Mm, we need to get to that next level and we can't get there with just the same exact thinking. We got to start adding stuff on top of what we're doing. And we absolutely carve out room for experimentation and just saying we need to layer in some new things into our mix in order to really find avenues of growth. And then there's at the same time new products coming out of our product team that, you know, we've got to find new ways to get those to market. There's some new personas. So we have to not just experiment, but find a path to success. So, and also people are a little scared when things don't work out well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think building into the culture that part of layering in new things, you have to be willing to be okay with failure, celebrate it, you know, even, Mm -hmm. even share that, oh, that's, not working. So we've had a few vendors that we've worked with for seven, eight months, and we're not getting anything out of them. And, you know, our director, or VPs come to me and say, no, oh, we're going to kill it. <laughs> Try something new. And, you know, I'm totally okay with that. I think that's part of, the, part of the evolution.
0: So is it harder to experiment when you're... Is it like, okay, great, we have more budget for experimentation because we're Mm. making more money or is it just the same, you know, when things are going well?
1: Yeah, I know what we're doing. Our budget, it's never as much as we want to do all the experimentation we want. So it's always a balance. Uh There's a little bit of baseline of, you know, we have to grow by this amount. This is our absolute floor just to keep the lights on, keep keep the growth (laughs) going. Mm -hmm. And here's over and above. And it's that experimentation over and above that Always get shaved, but I put my foot down, and this is me with our chief financial officer and with my boss saying, mm-hmm. you know, we we can't go below this because we have zero wiggle room. So, you know, I always kind of not argue, but just you know, negotiate for a baseline level of experimentation, even though it's not not as much as we want, but we need to be able to take some risks and have an envelope to do that. And there's always room to do some of that. And at the same time, there's always something that's not working that it might feel like that was our floor, but a vendor that just has never produced a single good lead for us. (laughs) So the team's always looking for those too and say, we can cut here and cut there and then layer in something brand new that That might help us. So, yeah, it's a balance. I don't think, you know, there's no perfect answer if you're a venture funded, very early stage startup that doesn't need to look for profitability. You can try a lot of things. You know, honestly, if you're not spending more budget than you have at that stage, you're probably not doing your job, Mm. (laughs) according to the board. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and that's why at the beginning you said we're, Kind of the perfect Goldilocks PE yeah. firm. I, I look at it as we have enough wiggle room to try these things, have some budget to really play with, and we're super profitable, but we're not like cutting budget or not like an incredibly tightly squeezed. So I think it is the perfect balance. It never feels perfect because there's always more that we can ask for that that we don't always get, but right forces some trade offs.
0: So. Let's talk about top lessons for a SaaS CMO to bear in mind while scaling up. Yeah.
1: I mean, I have three. Primary okay. One is, you know, scaling does not just mean more of everything. It does mean, you know, what are we going to stop doing so that we can really put in the things that are growing? It doesn't feel we've got some products we're not investing in marketing as much. We have quite a few products and it's painful to cut something that someone's put effort into. But I think saying we're going to focus, we're going to focus more and we're going to do better as a result, even though it might not feel like everything's scaling up, you know, a few things are scaling up more than others. And that is critically important just to, to focus and constantly, you know, not narrow, but just Make sure you're not doing peanut butter, a little bit of everything. You got to say no to a few things. And that's true with people's time. People can get completely overloaded and overwhelmed with taking on too much. So, be constantly telling my leaders, you can not go to some of these meetings (laughs) and just look at how your time is spent. So, it's just a constant leveling of how much you do take on and how much you do take off your plate. Mm. So, Mm -hmm. that is one. Another area for scaling up is we're growing our team. There's always people to hire. And we have gone through a process of looking at our sort of personality preferences using the predictive index. There's several different versions of looking at you know the personality of individuals and of the team as a whole and where we're trying to go there's there's several ways to do that we've used predictive index and when we're looking at hiring across the team I think hiring for pure cultural fit do they think and act and behave just like everyone else on the team or do we actually need somebody or some new people who think and act and behave very, very differently who can help push the envelope and bring in new ideas. So that's another thing that, you know, we're looking at filling out a balance of our hiring, not just based on skills, but based on what approaches they take to work. And it might be a little different than what we're used to, but, you know, we need to get a little bit uncomfortable (laughs) sometimes and shake it up a little bit you know, again, it gets back to a little bit of new new thinking is important to get past those plateaus and and keep growing. So that's the second one. And, you know, third lesson for scaling up is and this one i've I've kind of alluded to before, but feels like just when you get to a comfortable place, you've got to find ways to make yourself uncomfortable, yeah, again, you know, once we're you know we know we're we're doing really well in a lot of areas. We have to look at all right, how do we double doing these areas? Mm-hmm. you know and there's a lot of incremental ability to say we can just do a little more of this, a little more of that. How do we make ourselves uncomfortable to get past those plateaus and we have to do that through some experiments. Some of them will fail, you know, getting new people in the mix who have very, very different backgrounds and personas than other folks on the team is another way to do it. But, you know, growing, especially, you know, once we're several hundred million dollars. if you think about what we look like when we're double the size we are today. There's some discomfort along the way, Mm -hmm. you know, not a bad discomfort, but just A little bit of, we got to think
0: in new ways. It's interesting because, you know, often when a company is like kind of earlier, it's all about cultural fit. And then you get to this point where you realize you need the cultural ad. And, you know, and that can be really messy and uncomfortable. But I interviewed somebody else on this podcast who said, well, just like my budget is, you know, 20% or 15% or whatever, if it is Mm -hmm. for experimental things. I think of my people budget the same way. So I make mm-hmm. myself uncomfortable with the hire, like, you know, 20% of the time or whatever, one person in five is a bit of a, yeah, an experimental hire, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, not to not to make it harder for that person coming in, but like somebody whose background might be a little bit different and, you know, right. not what you expect. And I And I really like that. I'm wondering, like, Can you take us into like a recent hiring situation and how you struggled and how you got through the, well, this person doesn't feel like a fit on paper, but maybe they would, you know, help us add and grow and do that, you know, double the good stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm right in the middle of the process of of doing that right now. So I've had a very stable leadership team for a while and the team has been fantastic and working very well together. And we did you know the whole predictive index and everybody's in the same quadrant outgoing going and you know extrovert and like to think about like big picture and creating new ideas and you know I've been interviewing somebody now who's very very process oriented and just you know going to hammer things and get it done and and you know, might be like some people like, I don't know if they'll fit in, in the culture, but I do think it's going to work out extremely, extremely well.
0: So can you talk a little bit in more depth about hiring? And I'm wondering if there's an organizational decision that you've made that turned out well or that didn't turn out well to support the business as it scales. Like, is there something unique about your org chart that you haven't had in other places?
1: Yeah. So... We have a team. We have kind of the the typical traditional marketing functions within the org chart um, that most people see, the product marketing, growth marketing that has demand, digital inbound, some international teams, communications and PR, creative team, and a marketing program, operation leader. And then I've got a web and digital experience leader and team. And before I got to Smarter, it was you know web developers or our websites. And I changed the name to web and digital experience. We took over our communities and our academy for all of our training, moved it into that team. I, I took it out of a different organization altogether. I like that under marketing. I think the experience that customers have online with our communities and, and with our training is very related to, you know, overall digital experience and marketing, and it's related to our brand. And and our own web developers can make a huge impact on the academies and all the experience customers have. And and it was, you know, sitting in a different part of the, the org and, and doing okay, but bringing that under marketing has made an unbelievable impact on thinking about community and training in the sense that we think like treating customers as not not so much leads, but as, you know, it's, it's a journey that mm. we're taking them in. It's very cross-functional. We have uh, engineers and product owners and customer support and sales very close to those teams, but it, it's a little bit unusual of an org within marketing. And, and then I'm seeing more and more people with this sort of customer journey experience being coming under marketing. I'm seeing that, you know, trending a little bit more. And, you know, certainly if you look at e-commerce where we are full B2B company, if you go look at, you know, B2C and e-commerce, that is the marketing function. It's it's sort of that, you know, customer um, in communities. But with B2B, it's something a little bit new and different. So we're still shaping it. I get so excited when I see, you know, we redesigned the web page based on best practices and based on our branding and redid all the messaging. And, you know, our our academy enrollments went up by 400% just because of a redesign. And, you know, I don't think outside of marketing, people wouldn't think of doing that sort of thing. So
0: it's been Mm. great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. our
1: customers are developers themselves they're on software development teams they either develop or they test software and kind of having that team made up of people who look like our customers for us works really well because they're looking at journeys of you know if you're technical and you want to get a question answered you go here or they do connect with our social media team which is under comps because we do have a lot of developers just raise their hand on Twitter and mm-hmm. say, hey, SmartBear, I have a question about this. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll have to direct them back like, that's a great question. It's already answered here on our community. So, you know, come on back over. Mm-hmm. So we do look at that holistically. It's, it's not, you know, the cleanest in terms of product marketing gets involved and so does technical support. But I feel like the cross-functional aspect works as long as somebody's kind of looking out for the whole picture. They just yeah. know who to go to. We're not big enough that, you know, we don't know who to work with on different teams right. to get some of these answers or get some of this done.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for giving a view into the organization. I think that's that's really cool. Let's talk about hiring. Do you have a favorite interview question when you are hiring? Anything that's surprisingly revealing?
1: Yeah, I usually ask candidates, you know, what accomplishments are they most proud of? And, you know, we'll go through different things in the resume. I don't know if that's the most unique question in an interview, but to me, it's super revealing because I get a sense of, you know, are people going to share something that they led or they completely did themselves or they worked with an entire team? team to accomplish? Or are they going to share, you know, something that was completely broken that they fixed or just something that got great results? So it really, you know, gives me insight into how they think in terms of what they value, you know, mm-hmm. their most salient accomplishment. And and sometimes, you know, I'll get stories that are outside of work. Like, you know, I started volunteering at something, you know, sports coach. And, and it was so valuable because, X, Y, and Z. So it's always a helpful question to ask. A lot of those tend to be just going through, you know, can you do this job? And tell me about something that, you know, relates to what you're going to face here. That's the one question I ask everybody.
0: Yeah, that's great. I like it. I have a friend who asks, what are you famous for, personally and professionally? But that's like the famous part, and not the proud part, because I think you you might get the quiet competence that comes out through your question.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, and sometimes you know what what's your superpower? Yeah, um, and I've I've had to answer that a few times. You know, in my past life, interviewing. You know, what kind of CMO are you? What's your superpower? Mm. Are you a demand gen? Are you a product marketing? Are you a, a brand? So. What do you say? I say I kind of came up through all of those functions. But my answer to that has always been primarily demand and driving business, but not without minding the messaging and how it's coming across to customers.
0: So. Right. So like a major in uh two minor yeah, or maybe right. like you know, it's like a native language and then a fluency, you know, like a right, you know, right. second language that you speak fluently, you know, because it's like you spent fifty one percent of your time with, you know, one parent and forty nine percent of the other that's right, a Yeah, different language right? marketing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So what keeps you there at Smart Bear? You know, the market is so tight. I'm sure you get hit up a lot of times for jobs. Like what is it that's that's sticky for you?
1: Yeah. Um I have zero desire to move right now. I'm enjoying it so much, Mark Like I think what, what's kept me at the company is it feels like a new job every six months. Like I don't need to go anywhere to to feel like, oh, I've got to exercise new skills. You know, we're getting to the next level. Um, the team is growing. We're adding a whole, you know, product focus. Every growth stage and growth spurt is like being in a new company at first it was managing a team at what felt kind of like a startup now we're at mid-sized company we're growing in different regions of the world and we're adding you know abm and outbound which we haven't had before so it's all something new all the time so it just keeps you know it's it gets back to the idea of you can't just get too comfortable, you have to make yourself uncomfortable once in a while and start expanding and and exercising, you know, skills and muscles that you haven't in a while.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. So looking ahead to 2022, the arc of that year for B2B SaaS marketing, are there any particular trends that you uh, forecast for next year?
1: Yeah, I think um, there is a bit of not a return so much as just reinforcement of really knowing your ideal customer profile and talking directly to who your customers are Mm -hmm. that i see is more important Um, more than ever important um why people are if they weren't digital primarily digital before, they are 100% digital first now. Mm -hmm. And I think every, no matter what, you know, I'm getting bombarded 50 times a day by emails from various vendors, no matter your role, whether it's me or the, the new person on my team or the sales rep or our, you know, developer teams, there's so much just vying for their attention. That's just, beyond what it's ever been. If it was bad, you know, two years ago, it's it's crazy. And I think nobody's listening to inbound messages like that anymore. They just need to go find what they need online or through reviews or through peers that they trust. And we need to be there at every digital touchpoint that our customers are self-serving to solve their own problems. And And It's not just digital first, it's faster everything, especially our industry. You know, we're serving software development team, app development teams, which are serving the whole market as a whole. And they're running fast to get out the gate faster than competitors and develop more apps and release faster, just like everyone else is. So as a supplier vendor... Getting people what they need quickly and answers to their questions, and finding what they need and speaking their language is so important. So I think that translates back into marketing as, you know, we're doing a lot of work to make sure we know who that ideal customer profile is. And there aren't software developers. There's 50 different kinds of software developers that each have you know, their own jobs to be done. So, mm. and product management is working on that. We need to bring that back into marketing. Say, so, do we really know what they're trying to do? You know, our language on our website, on our materials, in our product, in trial has to translate well to what they're looking for. And that's foundation to, you know, marketing's doing a lot more in trial experience. There's big buzzword in the industry, product like growth, which you hear about everywhere. And, you know, what does that mean to a marketing organization? It means that all those touch points, again, they're digital and they're in your product. They're, they go from website straight into trial, straight into product. And there's language everywhere that the customer is reading, um, even in trial. You know, what are those little help units what messages are they getting along the way to help them get to the next stage and marketing's creating a lot of that content so yeah we need to really know what our customers are trying to do and you know for marketing to do well and plg and product like growth we need to really know what the customers are are trying to do and who they are and what their job is and what pressure they're under Mm-hmm. Um so I think that's a trend of just market research in a way that's not macro market but you know micro market mm. research you know creativity the strategic value product marketing is is right in there too and that is now I think the hardest role to hire in marketing <laughs> Yep, incredibly tough. And, you know, having product marketing focused on that, focused on understanding customers and getting creative beyond just, right, and create data sheets and create sales training. And there's there's a fundamental set of things they need to do, but a truly strategic product marketing function is an incredible advantage.
0: So final question for you, just bonus question, CEOs hiring CMOs, do you have a piece of advice for a CEO who has not hired a CMO before in B2B SaaS? And, you know, what should that person think of or know about to make a successful hire?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, CEO just thinking first about what their business needs the most, like what what do they really need from a marketer? at that stage of the company? And what do they need from a marketing lead? You know, that stage plus a year, two years ahead of time. So especially if it's the first hire, then there might be some very short term, you know, we need to rebrand. So you look for somebody who can rebrand the company. And then when that's done, wait a minute, now we need some growth marketing and demand and this person doesn't know how to do that. So I need another DMO. You know, I think there's some of that going on in the industry. So, you know, really think about like, what are the next two to three years look like for how the company is going to evolve, how the needs of the marketing leader are going to evolve and frame Both the job description and what you're looking for in terms of somebody who can do all of that and not just the one thing. You know, sometimes it's just pure, you know, oh, leads, our salespeople need more leads. Can we bring in a CMO who can do that? And then you're going to have mismatch expectations when something else becomes important. So I think really matching the expectations with, you know, what stage of growth you're in and will be in for a little bit of foreseeable future.
0: Right, right, but not thinking five years ahead necessarily, but thinking a couple of years ahead. Um, Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think sometimes companies trying to hire, like, you know, oh, we're the thirty million dollar company. We want somebody who could take us to a hundred million. It's like, well, maybe if you focus on the thirty to fifty million dollar, you know, range, you know, you're going to find the person that inhabits that really well, and then you bring in somebody else or somebody in addition to to help you do the fifty to one hundred.
1: Yeah, and also one company's journey from 50 to 100 doesn't look like the next. So just because somebody has done it before doesn't mean, you know, can they do it at your company? You might have a completely different go-to-market model, different product model. So I think looking at, you know, what is that track record of that big hyper growth phase yeah. does not translate from company to company perfectly.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. Uh.
1: Well, this is great.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you,
1: Erica. It's been a pleasure.
0: That was Cynthia Gumbert, the Chief Marketing Officer from SmartPair. Now that you've listened, ask yourself, how can you inject discomfort into your scale journey, even when things are going well? Next time on The Get, you'll hear from the Head of Marketing and Communications for Stack Overflow, Khaled El-Khatib, about how to sidestep a CEO or board's expectations of marketing being a dollar-in, dollar-out proposition. Thanks for listening to The Get. I'm your host, Erica Seidel. Hiring great marketing leaders is not easy. The Get is designed to inspire smart decisions around recruiting and leadership in B2B SaaS marketing. We explore the trends, tribulations, and triumphs of today's top marketing leaders in B2B SaaS, this season's theme is solving for the scaled journey. If you liked this episode, please share it. For other insights on recruiting great marketing leaders, what I call the make money marketing leaders, rather than the make it pretty ones, follow me on LinkedIn. You can also sign up for my newsletter at theconnectivegood.com. The Get is produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions.